Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Platwood Church. My name is Evie Martin. I'm the lead pastor here. It's good to be gathered together in this space, and also welcome to those of you worshiping with us online this morning. This month, every Sunday, we have gathered around for worship, and we have listened to the stories of Jesus. Storytelling is a a common thing that happens when people gather around campfires, thus the series title, at parties, over family dinners, in classrooms from both teachers and from students, at the library, any place that you can imagine where people gather, stories are told. Humans are story people. We're designed to hold narratives better than data. (laughs) Maybe because we can put ourselves into a story in ways that make them stick to us better than just factual or functional information. You remember more of the stories that I tell in sermons than any of the ideas or abstract thoughts that I try to convey. It's just how we're wired. And so, of course, the greatest teachers use stories to help shape and inspire and challenge us. Our gospels are full of stories called parables that Jesus used. He told some to the general public, all the crowds that gathered. He told some to the religious leaders, some to his closest followers, the disciples, and some to individuals who just stopped him along the way to ask a question. So 2,000 years later, we get an assortment of all of those parables to listen to anew, and we get to try to step into our own journey of following Jesus. You can revisit any of the previous parables we've talked about in this series by looking up Platwoods Church on YouTube. All of our collections live there for you to subscribe to or share with a friend if something hits you in an interesting way. But last Sunday, our parable ended by pointing us toward trying to imagine the overwhelming generosity of God toward us and toward others. It's a kind of generosity that doesn't make sense. It makes our brains hurt. And if we allow it, it gives us reason to hope for the fullness of God's kingdom yet to come. It's something beyond our wildest imagination. And I want to pick up that theme again for a little bit because I think our parable for today is not that dissimilar in its purpose. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about my trip to Mozambique. A lot of you know that in June, I had the opportunity to travel to Mozambique in Southern Africa, along with our bishop and his wife and three of my colleagues from the Missouri Annual Conference. This trip was part of our ongoing partnership with the United Methodist Church there in Mozambique that's been going on for nearly three decades. And I've been involved in this ministry at a number of levels over 14 years of my career. So I was honored to be invited to participate as a representative of the church in Missouri. This kind of work, this long-term partnership is all about relationships. So showing up, just showing up is much of the work. But some things that we did, we visited sites where new solar-powered wells have been installed, which brings water and irrigation and plumbing to entire communities. We met with pastors who now have electricity in their homes and in their churches, thanks to solar panels funded by Missouri churches. We celebrated with primary and secondary schools built and administered by the Methodist Church. We dedicated motorbikes to be used as a taxi service for communities, and this provides a revenue stream for the churches. 
We visited agricultural centers which feed seminarians, health clinic staff, surrounding communities. All of this is based in the work and the ministry of the United Methodist Church. I'm telling you, when you go there, when you see it, you are proud to be a United Methodist. It's a big deal. But all of that to say, we visited a lot of people, a lot of different communities and churches. And part of that experience is just resigning yourself to the fact that you are going to be overwhelmed with generosity. Because hospitality and generosity is hardwired into this culture in Mozambique. The giving of gifts is a huge part of every welcome ceremony. It makes you uncomfortable at first and you just have to get over it. <laughs> it's going to happen. So there you are, you're the guest just arriving that they have had to rearrange their schedules for. They've had to feed something, a meal, snacks, drinks. You show up basically empty-handed because of international baggage allowances. You can't possibly bring gifts for everyone that you will meet. And then what happens is the pastor, and then the lay leader, and then the women's leader, and then the local government representative, and then the solar company owner, and then the well driller, and then the children, every group you can think of comes forward to offer you their gift because you are the special guest. Now I don't have great pictures of these moments because I'm usually just trying to be present in them but time and again, the procession would begin with singing and dancing, and the women of our group might each be given a traditional kapulana, which is a beautiful local fabric, and the men would be given a straw hat. And these things alone are more than generous to welcome guests. But then, more gifts would come, and we each got a polo shirt with the church name on it, and then we got straw handbags, and then came a dress made from capolanas, and then an enormous wood carving from local gorgeous hardwood, and then shakers made from gourds and little drums to add to worship, and then oranges, and then sugar cane and bread, and cakes made from peanuts grown nearby, and sometimes even a chicken to round out the presentation of generosity. And by the time the third or fourth person comes forward and honors you with some beautiful gift, you can't do anything else but laugh. Like laugh the kind of laugh that is crying at the same time because the extravagance from a people who generally do not live in excess or extravagance brings nothing else into my being except disbelief and joy. The five of us guests kept looking at each other every time asking, how much more? How much more could there possibly be with each gift unfurled? Surely this is the last. How will we ever get this home? Incredulously, how much more? To answer the question of how we get it home, it took all of us shuffling all of our stuff around between our suitcases, plus another entire suitcase and a box to check on the plane. It was a circus just trying to get it all home. If any of those images sticks with or resonates with you, or maybe you have your own experience of generosity that has overwhelmed you or made you laugh and cry at the same time, I want you to hold on to that for a moment. And I want to read you a parable now, in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse five, Jesus said to his disciples, imagine that one of you has a friend and you go to that friend in the middle of the night. Imagine saying, friend, loan me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. 
Imagine further that he answers from within the house, don't bother me, the door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I assure you, even if he wouldn't get up and help because of his friendship, he will get up and give his friend whatever he needs because of his friend's brashness. And I tell you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. To everyone who knocks, the door is opened. Which father among you would give a snake to your child if the child asked for a fish? If a child asked for an egg, what father would give the child a scorpion? If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This parable is usually referred to as the parable of the friend at midnight. To me, a better title would be the obnoxious neighbors at midnight. <laughs> like, think about all the ruckus that's going on in the middle of the night. You've got one neighbor who receives a guest, a friend, a traveler, in the middle of the night, has nothing to feed them, so goes banging on another neighbor's door unapologetically. And we're supposed to identify with this character, the noisemaker. So first off, waking up neighbors in the middle of the night, that's pretty obnoxious, no matter your time or place or culture. Have you ever done that? Have you ever needed something so badly in the middle of the night that you were willing to wake up your neighbor for it? It has to be a really big deal, right? Like a major medical emergency, a kid who hasn't come home by curfew and maybe hanging out with their kid, a tree falling on your house or theirs, something big. I've only ever done it once, and it's a long, weird story involving New Year's Eve and a dog trying to dig into my yard, and my irrational brain convincing myself that my 30-year-old neighbor had had a medical emergency or was maybe dead inside their home. He was not. He was out celebrating New Year's Eve. The police were not sympathetic to my neighborly concern, but I digress. Pounding on someone else's door at midnight is widely recognized as inconvenient to the neighbor to everyone, really. Whatever it is, it better be important. In this case, it was. The hospitality code and practices of the ancient world are well known as extensive and abundant. We see lots of stories in the Bible that illustrate how one is to receive guests and how you are to treat travelers, and it always involves food, Traveling then was not like traveling now. There were not 24-hour gas stations where you could just stop along the way. Travel conditions, access to meals, exposure to thieves and treacherous roads was all unpredictable. So any guest arriving anywhere was met with food and shelter, no matter what time. So we're in crisis here. A guest has arrived, we have nothing to feed them. Our ability to be generous and hospitable is compromised. This is worth waking the neighbors for even if it's obnoxious. But then, surprise, the neighbor is obnoxious in return. No way, he says, I'm in bed. The kids are sleeping. If you wake them up, so help me, I'll. He's making an embarrassing situation even more embarrassing by raising a stink. 
And that is all we hear about these two neighbors banging on doors and yelling through the walls at each other in the middle of the night, one desperate for food, one desperate for more sleep. We don't get the resolution or what happens next in their words. Jesus leaves the narrative itself hanging, but he wraps it up for us in his own voice, assuring us that of course the cranky neighbor got up and gave his friend the bread. If not because they were friends, then at a minimum because of how shameless the neighbor was in his asking. This whole structure of Jesus' short little anecdote is a negative hyperbole. It's an exaggerated account of how neighbors would not behave toward one another. And it's intended to catch the listener's attention with this disruptive and divergent interaction. His whole point being that even in the worst possible scenario of a neighbor asking another neighbor for bread with the worst possible response, the bread will still be given. The parable is about the assurance of the gift. Ask and it will be given, no matter the hour, he seems to say. Seek and you will find if you can't find it in your own pantry. Knock and the door will be open to you, even if it seems obnoxious. And he takes it a step further to remind his disciples that there's no qualification on the asker, seeker, knocker. You can be the neighbor who has it all together with bread for the next day covered on the kitchen counter, or you can be the neighbor with an empty bread box running around frantically pounding on doors to receive your guest. Everyone who asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. To everyone who knocks, the door is opened. There's no exclusion. The noisy neighbor story assures us that the gift will be given to anyone who asks. And then the surprise, the mystery still contained in the parable is the magnitude and the substance of the gift. The substance of the gift, of course, here is bread. Early Jewish listeners would hear the significance in that. Bread is a long-standing image of God's provision for God's people. Metaphorically, yes, metaphorical provision, but also very literal. Manna in the wilderness for the people of Israel was and still is the emblem for God taking care of them one day at a time. The first five verses of this chapter, right before this story, the part I didn't read, contain Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. We've already prayed that together today. What's the middle line of the prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray for daily bread, what they need for each day. And then he tells a story about a man who needs and asks for bread to feed a hungry sojourner. And then he follows up this story by almost ridiculing the disciples about just how generous God is with bread, with daily provision. Which of you, he asks, if your kid asks you for a fish, a healthy pescatarian treat, would give him a snake instead? Or if they ask you for an egg, you'd give them a scorpion? You wouldn't. 
he argues, and you're mediocre parents at best. (laughs) I'm just kidding, he didn't say that. What he said was worse. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, he calls them evil, his closest disciples. Kind of like a rude neighbor awakened in the night, right? But he's reaching for the lowest possible denominator, the worst case scenario to point out that even us evil parents know how to give good gifts to our children, the things they need for nourish, nourishment and sustenance, not snakes and scorpions. No idea where he, why he picked those bizarre examples. I need to do a little more research on that, but it's weird. He brings them all the way to that low point of evil parents who still take care of their kids so that he can flip the whole thing on its head now and ask the question of the day. How much more? How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Bad parents give good gifts. Good parents probably give even better gifts based on the line of reasoning here. Imagine what kind of gifts God is going to give. How much more? That question is one we ask in two different ways, isn't it? Most often we ask it in deficiency mode. Think of the kid in the back seat on the long summer road trip. How much more time in this car? I talked to a family this week that they said it started at Liberty, like they were driving to Illinois. (laughs) Or we think of the stresses of adult life. How much more money till this credit card debt is paid off? How much more will this job take from me before I reach my breaking point? How much more can I keep up with the demands of my family? How much more will it take to save this relationship? How much more loss can I take? How much more violence and pain and aggression can this world stand? Usually, how much more is a question we ask ourselves, longing for relief of some kind. Jesus turns it around as a response. The question becomes an answer, an exclamation. How much more? God will give us in these places of deficiency and disparity. Just ask, he says. Just knock on the door. Everyone who does will receive. Except this is where we start to get a little uneasy because this part doesn't feel entirely true. There have been times we have asked and not received. Times we've sought and not found. Times we've knocked and the door has stayed shut in our faces. We've prayed for that promotion and not gotten it. We've prayed for more money to buy a better house and that was years ago. We've prayed for violence in our streets to cease and the conflicts rage on. We've prayed for things to get easier. They're still hard. We've prayed for healing and we've never gotten well. We've prayed for people, a partner, a child, a friend, and they never came along. Jesus, we appreciate the intention, but it just doesn't seem like everyone who asks receives. This is where a lot of us hit a wall when it comes to prayer. 
Or we do a lot of theological gymnastics to try and make sense out of God and God's will for our lives. Or we get songs from Garth Brooks like Unanswered Prayers, which is actually not theologically terrible for the best-selling solo artist of the 20th century. But we find ourselves craving some sort of explanation from God for why exactly God isn't more like Santa Claus. Because we would like God to be Santa Claus. That's kind of what ask and you will receive sounds like, right? What are we to make of God's proclamation? How much more when it doesn't seem to come to pass? The whole point of this parable has something to do with God's abundant generosity and provision for us. So when we dive back into the text, seeking understanding, what is there for us? What's there is not a guarantee that we will always get what we ask for. What's there is a promise of something more and a roadmap for how we are to pray. Listen one more time to Jesus' words. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What is the gift that is proclaimed and promised to those who go pounding on the door in the middle of the night when our souls are troubled, when we find ourselves in desperate need? The gift is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the very breath of God that animates us from within. Enough life and breath for one day at a time, just like daily bread. The Holy Spirit, known as Comforter, who embraces us in our suffering and prods us when we are stuck in ruts. The Holy Spirit, known as Advocate, who reminds us of our purpose and gives us strength to take another step when the way is hard. The Holy Spirit, known as Wisdom, in Hebrew, her name is Sophia, who gives us eyes to see our situations, our problems, the sin and the beauty in our lives and the world with the vision of God's eyes. Like children asking a parent, like a neighbor asking a neighbor, maybe our asks of God sound as small as a loaf of bread. We ask for what we think we need, but how much more does God want to give? God pours out God's very self, the power and life force that fueled the stardust of creation and swirled the dust outside an empty tomb as the power and possibility of how much more stood up and walked out of death into the sunlight of day. The parable wants us to wonder, to laugh and cry at the same time at just how generous and good God is. It wants to reshape the way we pray. It teaches us to see how every day we will have enough with the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit moving in and around and before and behind us. We are recalibrated for seeing the world and moving in it. It's like a parade of gifts 
that just keep on coming. We cannot see an end. How much more will God possibly give? Jesus doesn't tell us that we will ever know or can fully understand, but he does tell us, go ahead and ask. Will you pray with me? Generous God, so often our world depletes us, tires us, disappoints us. We wonder how much more we can take. And yet in our moments of desperation and despair, you remind us you are right next door. Open our hearts beyond what we think we need to how much more you are ready to give. We long for your spirit to fill us, to comfort us, to guide us, to bring us into a life that is fuller than we could dream. In the name of Jesus, our teacher and our more. Amen.